This morning we continue in our series, Life Together. I'll be preaching this morning on hospitality, homes of refuge and evangelism. And we'll look at several scriptures this morning. Our key words for the worshipers in training for our children, our home, hospitable, and seek. And if you have not received one of our family worship or uh, small group discussion guides, um, there are some available on the back table, uh, so make sure you pick one of those up. Uh, There's also a place in there for you to take notes each week, Uh, some things for you to reflect on as we walk through this series, uh, some questions to help you think further on these, um, these topics that we are discussing. But this morning I want to focus on a biblical command that is virtually ignored in most American Christian homes at worst and half-heartedly attempted or done without pursuing the full depths of the biblical exhortation with others, perhaps at best. If you did a good survey across the American church, you will find that we do very poorly in this area. And yet it is vitally important as part of the church's mission to advance the gospel, to build community, and to fulfill the two great commandments. That we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. So I want to be very practical here this morning. We are good at theologizing. We are good at finding what the Scriptures say about certain things. We need to get better and more focused at practice. How do we work these things out? So we'll be building on the last two weeks, talking about relationships within the church and relationships in the home. And so now we will look at one of the means that God gives. And not only a means that He gives, but something that He commands and expects of His people to be fulfilling. A call to be intentional, to be life-giving, to be gospel-saturated in our relationships within the church, within our homes, and within the community. And next week we'll build that out even more as we look at small groups. So we're not narrowing in on one specific passage this morning, but we're going to look at a collective exhortation from the Bible regarding hospitality. So we're going to start by reading three different passages. We'll begin in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes, Let love... Be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show Hospitality. Now Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. 
Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And First Peter chapter 4. And verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So if we take all of these passages together, we can summarize the biblical command of hospitality as that which we are to intentionally seek out, to do without grumbling, and to show to fellow believers, to non-believers, and to strangers alike. So if we take all three of those passages together, that's what we get. Peter is telling us, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Paul says, be intentional. Seek out opportunities to be hospitable. And the writer of Hebrews says that this includes those who are outside of the family of faith. Furthermore, biblically, we see the importance of hospitality in that Paul includes it as a requirement of those who are qualified to be elders or overseers of the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says that an overseer must be hospitable. Titus 1.8 says an overseer, as God's steward, is to be hospitable. This is a command from God to all of His people and specifically for the leaders of the church. So, if this rises to the level of importance within the Christian community that a church should expect it of the elders who are to set the example for the rest of the church to follow, we must conclude that this is a very important thing in the work of God, in the mind of God. So what is it? What exactly is hospitality according to the Scriptures? It is probably exactly what most of you are thinking. Very simply, it is welcoming other people into our homes, into our lives, sitting with them at our tables, on our couches, providing them a place to stay if necessary, and treating them in a welcoming, gracious, loving way as we build relationships with them. Very simply, hospitality is a practical way for believers to love others. And really, this is what separates biblical hospitality from social entertaining. Or even what separates the hospitality of believers from that of non-believers. 
It is unique to Christians as a means to display the love of God. This is the focus of the Christian who is hospitable. This is the primary focus, to display God's love. So entertaining focuses on having a spotless home, having beautiful decor, on preparing perhaps gourmet meals. But hospitality focuses on displaying love. So then food and decor and beds and linens and couches and whatever else, they're not an end in itself, but there are means or tools that God has given us. But they are elements used to express our love for others. They are not an end in and of themselves. So hospitality is one of the ways that the gospel The good news of Jesus is made visible. This is one way of not being hearers only, as the Apostle James says, but doers of the Word. And so with all of that in mind, we better understand the command to be hospitable is not so much a command to do something in a certain way, but rather, as with all things... It is a command to be a certain type of person. To have a certain kind of heart. So we can't fulfill this biblical command by simply meeting some criteria that we set up in our minds. That if we simply have a certain amount of people in and out of our homes throughout the year, uh, then we have fulfilled the command. Now the command is to... Be hospitable ungrudgingly, without grumbling, with love, with the goal in mind of displaying the love of God. The love that God has for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4 We saw in verse 9, he says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. He follows on in verse 10 to say, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So he's implying that hospitality is simply an extension or an overflow of God's hospitality toward us. We are hospitable to others because God has first been hospitable to us. So a hospitable person is a person of love. A good steward of God's grace. And so if this is how we are defining hospitality, a hospitable person is one who has first experienced the hospitality of God. When we talk about the hospitality of God toward us, we're talking of God being hospitable to us through the blood of Jesus. Ultimate hospitality was Jesus Christ dying for sinners to make all who believe members of God's household. 
Everyone who is transformed to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ finds a home in God. So our reason for hospitality must align with God's reason for hospitality. Why did God do it? Why Jesus? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. God sent Jesus to die in the place of sinners, to the praise of His glorious grace. And therefore, we too are called to magnify the glorious grace of God's in our homes and in our lives because God has magnified His glorious grace in us. God has sent Christ into the world to die that He would be magnified, that He would be glorified. And therefore, the command follows that we too are to show forth this glory using the means that God has given us to do so. So our motivation for being hospitable people is remembering that we walk in the newness of life as a result of God's hospitality toward us in Christ Jesus. We were once strangers. We were once wanderers. We were once orphans. We were once aliens. But by God's grace, in the cross of Christ, if we are believers in Christ Jesus, we were made alive together with Him, laying our old life to death, raised in the newness of life in Christ. And as a result, we look forward with a sure confidence that we will persevere to the end. That God will meet our every need as we journey toward the celestial city where we will enjoy the milk and honey of His eternal fellowship forever. And so God is hospitable toward us in inviting us into His household and calling us to the celestial city where we will sit down and feast with the King. And Jesus will come to us and wipe away every tear and clear away every pain and we will be with Him in perfection forever and ever and ever. This is our motivation to be hospitable. The great joy of hospitality is that it does not terminate on us. It is that we receive the great privilege of being conduits of God's grace and hospitality. Instead of seeing ourselves as the end. Because no matter how much we have, no matter how much we can give... It doesn't amount to anything outside of God. To push it a bit further, if we don't commit to hospitality as a means of displaying God's grace in Jesus Christ toward us, the joy of having experienced the hospitality of God will wither and decay in our own lives. 
In other words, hospitality is, in part, the joy of having God's power conquer our fears, our stinginess, our pride, and our self-centeredness. And as a result, we are reflecting the glory of God's grace as we extend it to others in all kinds of hospitality. So let's think of each of those specifically. Hospitality delivers us from fear. The fear of having nothing to offer. The fear of being dull. The fear of not meeting someone else's expectations. These things are conquered when we see the reciprocal blessing of lives shared and memories created and grace given one to another. Hospitality delivers us from stinginess. It is experiencing that it is truly far greater to give than it is to receive as others are able to enjoy our food and our space and our time and our conversations. Hospitality delivers us from pride. It is realizing that we extend love and grace because of Christ, not because of what we have, not because of what we perceive to be the right kind of house or the right kind of decor or the right kind of menu to set before the people, but because we are displaying the love of God in Christ Jesus. Hospitality delivers us from self-centeredness. We are being given the opportunity to love others through service, by preparing, by cleaning, by washing, by resetting, by conversing, by opening ourselves and our resources with a heart that says what's mine is yours because what is mine is ultimately God's. So this is hospitality. Now, who shall be the recipients of Christian hospitality? Again, as we look through these three passages we've already read, 1 Peter 4.9 says that the recipients are to be to one another. In Romans 12, Paul writes that we are to contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. In Hebrews 13, the writer says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So first, very clearly, we have a command to be hospitable to other believers. And secondly, we have this command to be hospitable to strangers. In other words, those we do not know. And that would certainly include non-believers. So first, other believers. I strongly believe that the number one best way to get to know other believers at a level beyond how's work, I like your dress, how are your kids, at a level beyond small talk, at a level beyond 
meaningless conversations is to invite one another into our homes. So if we're striving to be obedient in our life together at a deeper relational level, as we've already talked about in weeks previous, we must also be obedient to the biblical command of hospitality. We cannot have deeper relationships if we're not living our lives together, utilizing the means that God has given us. And so first and foremost, the Scriptures call us to be hospitable to other believers. Secondly, to strangers, as the writer of Hebrews has indicated. Now, in the context of the New Testament, this in many ways was referring to Christians who were traveling. And they would come and they would find the Christians within a community and they knew that they had a place to stay. They didn't know them. They knew, though, that they were brothers and sisters because they had the same father. So in that regard, I myself have had the joy of staying in believers' homes throughout the world And it's deeply satisfying to be welcomed into Christian homes when you don't even know the person. But this also points to the importance of our homes being open to non-believers as a way of displaying the gospel being worked out as, and as an opportunity for effective, meaningful, genuine evangelism. And so, in these regards, our homes are to be a refuge. In other words, they are to be welcoming and comfortable and filled with the gospel. Motivated by love. Focused on deepening relationships. On sharing our lives with one another. Our homes are also to be places of intentional evangelism. Look, very practical opportunities are created to present the gospel in word and in deed when we invite non-believers into our homes. We're going to chat more about this when we talk mission in a few weeks, but just real quick, I want to touch on this. It seems that the common evangelical mindset is... That sin is more like a disease to avoid so that it's not caught. (laughs) Instead of a heart condition that is only properly dealt with through the very gospel that we as believers are called to proclaim with our words and with our lives. And so while... Most of us would, if we're honest, size up our neighbors and say, they're nothing like me. They might say something that makes my skin crawl. They might talk about R-rated movies when we sit around the dinner table. We come with excuses and say... This is why we don't bring them into our space. But the Bible is saying quite the opposite. The Bible is saying, bring them into your home for a meal. Sit them at your table and engage in a relationship with them. 
So instead of the us versus them mentality that so many of us have embraced, Jesus says, bring them in the house and cook something for them. Share your life with them. And I promise that this will lead to evangelism. I'm not saying bring them in, sit them at the table, and when they pull up their napkin, there's a gospel track hiding there. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know. I don't know how they got there. Please don't do that. (laughs) What I'm saying is as life is shared, this will happen. I lost my job. I have a wayward child. I have a rough marriage. As these things come up in conversations with them, we have opportunities to say, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your confusion and heartbreak and sorrow, Jesus offers peace. Jesus offers reconciliation. Jesus offers true joy. And so we're not talking about drive-by evangelism. (laughs) We're talking about investing in other people's lives, hearing their lives, being concerned about their lives, because these are people with souls created in the image of God like you and I. The great need for the Savior just like you and I. So here's our challenge to all of us in relation to our neighbors, our co-workers, those who we do our hobbies with or whatever. You can invite them to come to church. That's fine. Have them come. That's great. But perhaps more important than that is that you invite them into your home. Because while they may come here and hear something I say or see something that we do or get something from a conversation they have with one of you, the Lord may use that to regenerate their souls. But I bet if you ask around here, 90% or more of us were regenerated not because we were sitting in a service at church, but because someone else sat down with us. And they were intentional about sharing their lives with us and sharing the gospel with us in word and deed. That's most of our stories. Look, I'm not downplaying the importance of what we do here. It's vitally important. But what we do with and in our homes also carries a very, very heavy weight. And don't hear in all of this that I'm saying, if this is something that is uncomfortable for you, if the very thought of doing this, if the very thought of these things that I am pointing us to is uncomfortable for you, this does not mean that you are not a faithful Christian. Because it will be uncomfortable, especially at first. Especially if more than one person don't have the gift of small talk. Right? How are you? Fine. How are you? Good. All right. Nice day today. Yep. That gets uncomfortable. (laughs) We've all been there, right? 
But, by God's grace, as we are faithful in this, our comfort zones will be expanded into this very countercultural area of life. <coughs> so what does this look like practically? A few points, perhaps, to help us. <coughs> and I will, um, I want to recommend, and this has been very helpful for me, and I think will be very helpful for many of you, especially if this is not an area you excel in. There's a great um, book, it's called Practicing Hospitality, The Joy of Serving Others. And I want to commend that to all of you to read. Very, very good, very helpful. <coughs> very practical. <coughs> so we must tear down the comfortable walls of our social circles to begin with. It's very easy for us to isolate to a few people that we're very comfortable with, right? We have to expand that circle. So that means if we're married, then perhaps we include singles in our gatherings. If you're single, perhaps that means you invite a family over for dessert and coffee in your home or in your apartment or wherever you live. We should have a very diverse guest list as it comes to our homes. We should readily extend and accept invitations from those who are very different from us. We must embrace the truth of Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. We must intentionally develop intergenerational relationships. That means for all of us that we must be willing to be a younger Christian and an older Christian with other people in our lives. It's very easy to isolate ourselves by only focusing our life on those who are in similar situations and similar stations in life. So college students love to hang out together. Empty nesters love to hang out together and everything in between. Families with younger children, families with older children. And we look at those and we justify them because we say we have stuff in common. But I want to call to our attention the fact that the Scriptures call us to be the body of Christ with all of that mixed together. There is a lot to be gained as we put ourselves in the company of those who are older and have walked in the faith for much longer than us. There is a lot to be gained as we share our lives and our faith with those who are younger. We must be intentional about this. It does not happen on its own. We must, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, clothe ourselves with humility as we extend hospitality. We have to know the difference between biblical mandates and preferences. And in doing so, we're able to expand our borders to include those of different socioeconomic status, family size, school choice, hobby preferences, and even theological persuasions. 
Proverbs 27.17 calls us to be sharpening one another. Well, we have to get together for that to happen. We must be together in order to sharpen one another. There is no other way. So we must break down our social circles. We must be intentional about intergenerational relationships. We must clothe ourselves with humility. And we must see hospitality as a means of affirming, sharing, and serving. Here's what I mean, and many, many biblical exhortations to go with it. First, we must affirm. As we are being hospitable, we affirm one another's strengths and abilities and gifts. Romans 12.10, honor one another. James 5.9, don't grumble against each other. Romans 12.3-8, confirm the gifts of one another. Affirm one another's equal importance in Christ. Romans 15.7, accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you. 1 Corinthians 12.25, have equal concern for each other. 1 Peter 5.5, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Third, affirm one another through visible affections. Romans 16.16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. James 1.19, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Second, we are to share, to share one another's space and goods and time. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Share one another's needs and problems. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily. We must share one another's beliefs, thinking, and spirituality with each other. Colossians 3.16, teach and admonish one another. Ephesians 5.19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Romans 12.16, live in harmony with one another. Thirdly, we must be committed to serve. We serve one another through accountability. James 5.16 Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Romans 15.14 Instruct one another. Ephesians 4.25 Speak truthfully. Serve one another through forgiveness and reconciliation. Ephesians 4.2 Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Colossians 3.13, forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. James 4.11, do not slander one another. And lastly, we serve one another's interests rather than our 
own. Hebrews 10.24, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Romans 15.1 and 2, don't please yourself, but aim to please others. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. We must affirm, we must share, we must serve. These are the things that we focus on as we commit ourselves to biblical hospitality. So here's where we all need to get if we're going to practice strategic hospitality as believers. First, we must be intentional about it. And to do so, we need to have specifics. Specific time. I can think of no greater time for most of us than the Lord's Day. But as soon as we leave here, we're going to have others in our homes or we're going to someone else's home to spend time with one another. That means we prepare our homes on Saturdays and then when we gather, we hang out, we do these things, we discuss the sermon perhaps, we do these things to encourage one another, to stir one another to love and good deeds. What a great time in our schedule that the Lord gives us in order that we can commit ourselves to biblical hospitality. We must know specific people. Who are we going to bring into our home? Who are we going to commit ourselves to in this way on this day? We must be ready to receive so that we can enjoy the time instead of being stressed out and frazzled. And we do so without grumbling. This is the difficulty. How do we do all of this without worrying about the house, without everything, feeling like everything has to be perfect, whether or not they enjoy the meal, whether or not someone's going to spill something on the carpet, whether or not they express gratitude and thanksgiving for what has been provided? These are all means that will present themselves for us to grumble. How do we do all of this without grumbling? It's important that our hearts are prepared. We must pray in advance. We must ask the Lord for gracious, generous hearts, remembering that we are not entertaining. We are displaying the hospitality and love of God through our service to others. Why are we doing this? That's the question we always must ask ourselves. We must be ready to receive others unexpectedly. This is difficult. I want us to think briefly on Elizabeth receiving Mary. Mary was pregnant, Elizabeth was pregnant, and Mary made a long journey without any notice and spent several months with Elizabeth. So when Mary showed up, Elizabeth did not say, um, why didn't you call? Uh, she excitedly welcomed her into the home and allowed her to stay as long as she needed. Again, we are not entertaining. We are showing hospitality. As I think about this, I think of all of the places that I've been in the world. <coughs> and sadly, 
see that this very thing is desperately lacking in the United States. In fact, some of the most hospitable people have been those who have no biblical mandate to be hospitable. The most hospitable of people that I have encountered, sadly, have been those who are Muslim. Have welcomed us into their homes, have fed us well, and have offered places to stay. And the only ones who have come close in terms of their ability to love and serve are those Christians I encountered in Nigeria. Now these are people who work all day long, from sunup and sundown, cooking, building a fire, preparing their food, on and on and on and on. It never stops. They have no money, they have no resources. And yet, when we show up unexpectedly, they drop what they're doing. They provide and prepare food. They provide shelter. They sleep outside if you let them so that you can sleep inside. They keep you company and they sit with you and watch you eat before they eat. And yet, we have so much that God has given to us to steward, to use as resources for this very thing, and yet often we do so little. We live in a day when hospitality in our country does not exist as it should. People are isolated. People are lonely. And we eat most of our meals out of bags that we pick up at a window made by a high school kid in a uniform, right? but we cannot be stingy with our resources. And that means that we use whatever we have to magnify the gospel through hospitality. So if that's a small home or an apartment with a small meal, fine. We're investing in the greater cause of building that relationship, of displaying and magnifying the grace of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We must remember that Jesus did not wait for us to invite ourselves. Because He knew that we never would. People are not going to most likely invite themselves into your home. We must, like Jesus, intentionally seek out and serve others. Because Jesus intentionally sought out and served us by calling us onto Himself, by granting us the gift of faith, by grace, revealing to us the beauty, the magnificence of the cross, that He lived a perfect life, died a sinless death, rose from the dead and rules and reigns and calls us His own, inviting us into His household to live forever and ever at His side. This is our motivation. I'll close with a quote from Alexander Strzok in a book called The Hospitality Commands. He writes, Hospitality fleshes out love in a uniquely personal and sacrificial way. Through the ministry of hospitality, we share our most prized possessions. 
We share our family, our home, our finances, our food, our privacy, and our time. Indeed, we share our very lives. So, hospitality is always costly, unless we open the doors of our homes to one another, the reality of the local church as a close-knit family of loving brothers and sisters is only a theory. So hospitality is a discipline for all of us to apply, to work at, and to pray over in our homes as believers. This is a call to sacrificial giving, and it doesn't come easy to any of us. We need God's grace to stretch us in this area and to help us serve without grumbling and with humility, thinking more highly of others than we think of ourselves. It's vitally important. Because in the end, as we look, as we see, as we look to what our motivation is, This is a very means that God has given us for the working out of the gospel. To be ambassadors of Christ for His glory, for the joy of His people. And we have the blessed opportunity to share in that with other believers and to proclaim that to those who do not yet believe. And by God's grace, in time, we get the privilege of seeing them come to faith. That's a privilege. That is a gift. Let us rejoice in that great gift. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that You have called us into relationship first and foremost with Christ. That You have given us new life. That You have given us eternal hope that you have given us eternal satisfaction. It is my prayer, Lord, that you would work in every one of our hearts that as a result of the gospel, as a practical working out of the love that you have shown us, that we would love others by utilizing all that You have given to us and that belongs unto You, to share that love, to build relationships, to sacrifice our time and our resources, and to love with gospel-saturated love. to be invested in the lives of our brothers and sisters, to be invested in the lives of our neighbors. Father, help us to not neglect this calling, this command, this important means that you have given us for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, help us to not do this out of a sense of grudging responsibility and legalistic adherence, but rather that we would commit ourselves to biblical hospitality because we have a great desire and longing to do so. 
Lord, we want to be walking in Christ, in the Spirit. Conquer our fears. Conquer our stinginess. Conquer our self-centeredness and our pride. That we would freely open our lives and open our homes to others. Lord, we thank You most of all for opening the life and death and resurrection of Christ to us. We rejoice in the newness of life. Let us rejoice in that together. In Jesus' name, amen.